Hello and welcome to the Fall Line with KS and Company. I'm Dave Capron. I'm in PSA Eastern Division Examiner, and I'm also the training manager at Atatash Mountain Resort. And I'm here today with Angelo Ross. Hello, everybody. Angelo Ross, Seven Springs, Hidden Valley, Laurel Mountain Training Director in sunny southwestern Pennsylvania, member of the Eastern Division Education staff also. Good to see everybody virtually. And our, and our first podcast with Angelo and I are here. We're just going to talk a little bit about what's going on, how we're getting ready for the season. Angelo, what are you doing to get ready? Mm, right now, recovering for <laughs> from bad skateboarding decisions. Yeah. Um, yeah, right now I'm, I'm, I'm walking this kind of fine line between rehabbing some, some back injuries, but also trying to, you know, increase agility, increase strength and stamina. Um, and, and it's, it's kind of a, kind of a tightrope endeavor. So it's, you know, like 50, 50 being careful, but also trying, trying to push a little bit, you know, how about you? Yeah, same thing. I'm, I'm not as much rehab, but definitely getting prepped physically, trying to get back on the flexibility thing, try to get on the roller. I get really lackadaisical spring and summer with stuff going on. I, I, so I got to get on that roller and uh, I've been on the bike not as much as last year through the spring and summer, which was disappointing, but uh, definitely got back on it late August and been flying on it September, October, at least flying for me. Um, been on the mountain bike a lot more than I have in the past, trying to mix up my road riding and mountain biking. Uh, we've done some cool stuff here on the property. Uh, my wife and I and uh, my family had a cross country center when I was younger. Hasn't run for years, but we've had the trails out there, but a lot of them are overgrown, hard things, and we've gone back out and reclaimed all that um, through the through the summer and fall here. And we've got probably almost six miles of, of riding out there. That's, that that's, we're playing with now. So a little more than you have in your backyard with your little track you got there. Yeah, one of my COVID projects was building a little mountain bike track in the backyard. Um, it 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 probably sits on quarter acre at a most at the most, but um, it, it's a it's four or five interlocking figure eight patterns cut into this super high grass. Um, I mean, I can go back there and ride for for a good 30, 45 minutes without uh, without the boredom meter going off, you know. And uh, when you have that limited space, like for me, I, I there's no elevation change to speak of. So um, that that is is more of a focus on agility um, and and maybe a little bit of strength building rather than rather than you know building up my wind. But it's been a lot of fun, you know. Yeah, some of the some of the bike trail trail building definitely works into my strength training and that getting the chainsaw back out, pulling logs, splitting wood. Um, yeah, my my strength training per se of like lifting weights and that doesn't go into the gym. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not much yeah. of a gym rat. I'm the worst <laughs> at the gym. <laughs> yeah, no, it's gotta be fun, man. I'm life's too for me is as you know, I'm real busy with the businesses, summer type stuff, so we can ski all winter. That um it, it's I don't have that time. If I get an hour, I want it to be fun. Like not that the gym isn't fun, but for me, it's more fun to get on my bike. Yeah. Or um, and then you know we've been really reclaiming. I have to do stuff around the farm and and stuff here, anyways. That gets those kind of a, somewhat those agility, strength type stuff going. Yeah. Um, I don't have the consistency to 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 own a gym membership. It would be a complete waste of money. But but I do have a. Uh, 
I do have a generous and thoughtful wife. So that, so the, the backyard is basically a, a playground. You know, there, there's a skateboard ramp out there. There's a climbing wall out there. There's the mountain bike uh, loops back there. Um, but, you know, I get on the road bike. And, and I, I did have a pretty bike-heavy summer there for a couple of months, which is one of the things that led up to my, my current problem with my back. But um, I do. I got bike tours for a company in southwestern Pennsylvania called Wilderness Voyagers. We do tours all over the country. And um, I was on a couple uh, multi-day trips this summer. I, in normal season, I'll do 12 or 13, 14 tours. This summer was four. Um, and I, and I think one of the, one of the things that happened for me with, you know, how much time we had at home, as you well know, we, you and I, and a, and a handful of others spent a lot of time, you know, doing zoom calls and, and establishing some online presence for the Eastern division throughout the summer. I, I spent a lot of time in a chair. And then by the time, um, I went back to work for the for the outfitters. You know, I'm doing these multi-day trips that involve some some pretty heavy-duty drive time, also. And uh, I guess it was beginning of August. I had just gotten home from a six-day trip in Michigan, nine-hour drive home, and I was doing some yard work the next day. And you know, tried to pick up something. We we're moving some rocks, doing some landscaping, and picked one up, and it, it sort of blew my back up. It was prob probably the straw that broke the camel's back but um yeah before that you know the biking was more endurance and wind and things like that on those on those trips but yeah it uh it, it's there's a lot of overlap between biking and skiing so like when yeah. when you're on your bike when when you're if you have that that you know that training mindset happening what are you doing on the bike specifically that uh that you think translates into your skiing on the road bike, it's a lot. Of, it's the endurance, the the cardio, <clears throat> mostly. Um, I I try to mix up some. All my rides have climbs. Um, I do like going uphill, um, which a lot of my friends are like. They're you're like you know it's fun going downhill too. But um, the, the uphill is that anaerobic part. I try to put in there to get the high heart rate. You know, get the heart rate up high, and then bring it back down after the climb, so that I'm not just always on that moderate. You know, I need to get into that anaerobic zone. Um, and I, and I, I don't know if I really planned it that way. It's just as I've looked into and seen stuff and, you know, it even confirms through, you know, listening to Sue Kramer and, uh, you know, looking at her book and chatting with her, uh, be fit to ski book. Um, you know, you got to get into that anaerobic zone at times to prep for our ski season and the road bike. I do that a lot with, with the climbs within my ride, um, on the mountain bike, it's more the agility getting off track. I mean, I, I started mountain biking and then everything around me got paved. So it's really neat to have the trails that we've reclaimed. There's actually some single track stuff within the area that um, there's an association putting some stuff together. So I've gotten a lot more on the mountain bike versus getting on it here and there. And that is more my agility, my ability to go through rough terrain, you know, have stuff knock the bike around and have to balance on top of it, change where I'm sitting on the bike fore or aft as I'm going down through hitting stuff. Um, so yeah, I definitely use the two different. That's uh, Jess Stiff down there from Southern PA, um, who's big into biking, man. He owns a bike shop, so he's definitely a biker compared to me. You know, has pushed me to get back on the mountain bike to work on that strength, agility type thing versus just being on the road bike so much. Um, 
I feel like it, any any motion sports, you know, yeah. and that, and that's one one thing. I and I don't know a lot of this just might be me justifying not joining a gym, but like I I feel like there's a there's a lot to learn from any motion sport. So yeah. road biking, mountain biking, obviously, trail running, road running, skateboarding, you know, I and and that's that's where I like to um spend my energy because my my schedule is really sporadic my my biggest problem is probably consistency you know and so you know when you have multiple activities whatever kind of mood you're in for the day when you find yourself with a free hour you can you can go do that thing whether take a run take a bike ride or, or get on the ramp for for a little while and 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 Get your, you know, have fun doing those, but also get your brain in a place where you're thinking about the movements you make on the snow and then getting that benefit out of that as well. I, I, I think that um, I was watching Josh Hoggins stuff on the fitness program and it was kind of neat. He did some simple stuff of just going almost on a hike or running along the rocks and that he had that one view where it was on the ocean over there in Maine. And, and I, I think sometimes, you know, just a hike, anything that gets us to move in space you know, more than just our natural walking that some unstable or not even unstable, but just uneven terrain mm -hmm. gets us to start thinking about that. So it's kind of interesting as I've just been the last week or so since Josh's video was on that thing, thinking of those places, like where does that happen just when I'm doing my normal stuff around the farm that I might be playing around with that and not even know that I'm working on some movements that are probably be applicable to skiing. Mm -hmm. um, was was pretty neat. I mean, and you're skateboarding. I mean, if you if your back wasn't kind of you know you're not rehabbing right now. If you weren't rehabbing right now, how much would you be on the skateboard? Well, how much would I be on it? Honestly, probably three to four days a week. Yeah. You know, and the thing is, I'm and you know I'm I just turned forty nine, and when I was nineteen, three or four days a week was low. You know, it was six, seven days a week. It was because it's, you know, it, it's a lifestyle. There's a culture there, you know, that we, you know, fully, fully were a part of, or at least thought we were a part of in the, in the 80s as kids. Um, but now, you know, 30 years later, a um, couple days a week, you know, a couple falls, landing on wood is much better than landing on concrete, but, you know, definitely get squeaky and make noises in the when i'm getting out of bed in the morning these days yeah. but um i think there's a lot you can learn about skiing from skateboarding and and not only physically but um just your your vibe your mentality about the sport you know yeah. my, my personal belief is that and i think this is true that the ski world is is very race dominant it, it's it's very race influenced you know from the design of the gear just right down to the technique um but i don't think that's why most people ski and it's not why i became a skier growing up you know i was more informed by 80s skateboarding um which you know if, if anybody in the in the audience of, is familiar with that it, it was a very different vibe than it is now there there was no there were no X Games. Their competition was more of a joke than than actual competition. You know, yeah. there's a real art piece to skateboarding, and so that's what I knew. And so as I developed into more of a skier, that was kind of where I was coming from. So when I get out on the ramp and I'm thinking about 
you know, how how do these how can I think about these movements and and how they're going to benefit me on the skis? It, that's only part of it because the other piece of it is the vibe. You know, like I'm not interested in how fast I go, I, and you know, and, and on the skis so much. I'm more interested in how does it feel? What you know? I want it to look good, obviously, but I like to find weird terrain that you know ups your it it, it taps into that creative piece that we all have and that's what drives me as a skier you know and i and i think i get maybe that's why the skateboarding maybe that's why i gravitate to the skateboarding as much of i do as much as i do to inform my skiing yeah it looks like you get a lot from your skateboarding you know when i was watching some of your video the other day you sent me a video of you skateboarding on your ramp in the backyard Mm -hmm. and there's a lot going on down in your feet and ankles and, and lower body that you were playing around with. I mean, definitely down, you know, it's your ankle, even your feet, your, your foot, mm-hmm. the way you were manipulating, you were playing around with the board there and doing a couple of flips. And, and I can't remember what you call a couple, there was like a truck in front of the truck and back of the truck. Yeah. That's what holds <laughs> the, the weak, wheels to the deck. Skateboard guy. <laughs> but yeah, it was, it was neat to see that. Cause it's like, I was watching you, you would describe one where you're, you were showing the foot on the board and how you were using the, the little toe pinky toe side mm-hmm. of that was kind of neat. And mm-hmm. I, I think places I can get some of that stuff is um, that uneven type stuff, walking around stuff that Josh was talking about that, you know, you just go on a bunch of rocks by the ocean and walk around or, you know, I get on the BOSU ball, mm-hmm. you know, and mess around with what's yeah. going on and get on one foot. And can I get on the top of that half ball or even just on the floor and balance on one foot and, and manipulating the foot or seeing if I can stay there without moving around. But that was pretty neat to watch how well, you and that, and with just your feet. Talking about just standing on the floor and, and doing that, you know, re- really to me, that, that makes me think that, and I, I use the word training I, and I, I don't, but I don't love the connotations of it because it, 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 it sounds very, um, it can come across, I think, as very methodical and and sterile and objective. But but I use the word, I think, because we all use it. But the point I'm trying to make is that when you just stand on your floor, you know, maybe in your bare feet, probably in your bare feet, and try to balance on one foot, everywhere is a training facility. You know, in the in the world of martial arts, they say everywhere is the dojo. You just don't learn these lessons in this particular room for this hour and a half on Tuesdays and Thursdays. When you go out into the world, this is where you apply it. This is where you apply self-control and, and respect and, and, and with itness and those sorts of things. And in that vein, everywhere you go, everything you do can be training for the ski season. You know, So if you're standing in your living room in your bare feet, on one foot and you, you feel you start to lose your balance it happens yeah. you know like maybe you you know i don't know you have a head cold one of your ears is plugged up you know the planet's spinning whatever throws you off balance you start to feel different parts of your foot and it it's yeah. a great reminder that oh man there you know what there is a bone behind the pinky toe there, look at yeah. check out that bone in the ball of my foot and even though in a ski boot those things are held captive to to a high degree i mean in a in a well fitted ski boot from a great boot fitter you can articulate your foot muscles there, there's a lot of freedom in a great in a, in a well-fitting ski boot but even in a ski boot that fits you great 
your your foot is held captive and it's yes. the more you practice those movements without that ski boot on and the more you practice it throughout the year in different settings the more of a reminder it is when you do have your ski boots on it's like oh yeah you know what i can articulate my foot muscles and affect the edge of this ski yeah and that's yeah. powerful you know yeah yeah because I, I get more into that i mean just walking up the stairs and 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 i i do a lot of that to prep where i don't think of it during the summer that i will think of just body parts moving and, and how i'm going up the stairs and flexing the leg and i get funny looks from the wife because you know, she's like you're thinking skiing what are you thinking what are you doing right <laughs> now <laughs> you know and it, it that that's some of the stuff i i need to in my natural life just kind of play around and and we get to do a lot of stuff on the land and the property here because of the business and the farm that there's a lot of stuff I'm doing that I start to think about it now. And, and as you said, with the task force, it's been interesting because I have not really mindset wise left skiing during the spring and summer this year, like I have in the past. I mean, we've, I mean, I was on the phone with you and the rest of the task force while I'm picking blueberries and I had the headphones on down in the middle of the orchard. So it's like, mm -hmm. that's usually doesn't happen in the middle of the summer. <laughs> We're talking about what can we do for webinars? So, yeah. Um, so what, what are you doing other than physical type stuff to get ready? Um, well, I, I mean, and as you know, the, the national board, national PSIA, AASI board just approved the people skills and, and um, teaching skills, the fundamentals. Um, so that's going to become more a part of what we do job wise, which I, I think, you know, is, is something that, that we and the membership need to, to look at. But I, but I, I really love what that actually means, you know, what those things mean. And I, and I, I, I tell, I tell people often in my, in my clinics, the, the problem with writing something down is that you've written it down. You know, you've, you, the, the problem with putting it in a manual is that now it's in a yeah. manual. But if you yeah. think about what those, those mean, and you're, you know, you're actually expected to, um, consider people's goals and what their intentions are for that day on the hill for for what that lesson is to them you know that's that's a real shift in not just ski teaching but it's overall like systemically it's a shift in in american education probably education everywhere where the where the prior belief was more teacher centered and 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 not student centered and obviously that that didn't work or we would have wouldn't have changed it but what I'm getting at is like with those things being put in the spotlight, it's made me start to reflect on them earlier in the year. And I, I yeah. know myself and I, I'm, I'm an introvert. You know, I have a tendency in a group to try to be in the back and I, and I'll listen for a long time until I talk, you know, yeah. that's not a great strategy when you're the course conductor. Right. So, as I start to reflect on the people skills and, and that piece of what, what we do, it's making me now earlier in the summer, start to consider like, how do I actually come across to the people in my, in my groups, you know? Right. And if it's a, if it's an update clinic, that's one vibe. If it's an exam, that's a different vibe, but you, regardless, you still want to come across as, um, like you're listening. I mean, you don't want to come across that way. You actually want to listen. You you want to yeah. listen. You want to really try to meet people where they are and get them to where they want to be. So, I've I've been thinking about that quite a bit. And I mean, you can read, 
you can read about those things. But it, I think the best thing to do is quite a bit of introspection first. And, you know, re, you know, when you have interactions with people, really actually reflect on how they went, you know, and try to improve that stuff. You know, what do you think yeah, about I mean, that? I, I think the people skills is huge. I mean, that's something we've kind of had in the back of my mind and some of our stuff with communication and that, but it's never been out the way it is now with our, with our new standards coming out. And uh, I've been thinking about it a lot just in terms of, you know, have I been doing them well? How can I improve on them? You know, how can we build that trust? I mean, it's definitely something I've been thinking about too, especially as our, our training ramps up this fall that we've been going through already. I mean, our training for PSA has already started for all the ed staffs across the country together. So it's, it's definitely the push and um, yeah, for two introverts, it is different that we have to be out there in the lead, you know, and everybody's like, yeah, the two introverts start a podcast. Like, yeah. that's a good one. Who's going to talk? <laughs> <laughs> you just sit here and look at each other with that's blank right. expressions. And that's, that's funny though, because that you, that you bring that up too, because, um, you know, I, I was a school teacher for 20 years and the American society and, and the education system are, I would argue they are skewed toward extroverts, you know, but yes. the fact of the matter is yeah. probably half the people are, are more introverted than, than extroverted, you know, and very, very, very few people are so pure one way or the other that they, right. you know, like an actual 100% pure extrovert probably doesn't exist. Same thing with an introvert, but, you know, for a lot of years, I would, I would teach all day. And it would it would drain the energy out of me. That doesn't mean I didn't love it. It didn't mean I didn't like the job or, or like the kids or like my my colleagues or whatever. But the fact of the matter is, when my when my butt hit the driver's seat and it was time to go home, I was turning the radio off, and and I would need that downtime. And the same thing is true, um, you know, working events for for PSIA. There it there's it's a tiring endeavor, yeah. you know, and when you have a chance to reflect on the people skills and you ask yourself, like, how, how do I participate in this group? What's my, what am I bringing to it? If you know that things like that are hard for you, you know, where an extrovert may derive energy from being in a group an introvert loses energy from being in a group, you know, at the end of the day, you need to go replace that. You need, you need to, right. or, or you can't replace it. Energy lost is lost, right? To outer right. space. But you can let it build back up for the next recharge. day. Recharge. If you know that about yourself, for sure. And you owe it to your, you owe it to the people you're with to go do that, yeah. you know? But you also have to consider as a course conductor that half of those people in your group are probably introverts. And you're, yeah. you know, one of, one of the things we have to do is put them on the spot. You know, particularly if it's an exam. Yeah. And I think, you know, the fact that these people skills exist and allow us to be mindful of that is is nothing but a good thing. Yeah, it's, just, it's important. I mean, it's it's a tricky thing there to you. You see someone being quiet, you know, and to find the way to bring them in without putting them too hard on the spot. But you've got to give them that opportunity. You want them to speak up. And, and you know, some people just they're they're fine doing it and they keep doing it and it's that mix and so for especially at the exams for us it's it's a challenge i think it's a challenge in the clinics too because you know they need sometimes those introverts will be left there and the extroverts get a lot of the attention because they keep asking questions where you need to find ways 
to involve them of, of uh, you know, whether an activity or, or asking them some things they may do for this thing to involve them more versus putting them on the spot of what's the answer. You know, what are some things that all of us could do or maybe have everybody give one thing? Um, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a balance. And, and those folks, you can't expect them. I don't feel you can expect them to be involved every second because they, they don't have that energy level to be that involvement. Their, their involvement is going to be really boom, good segments. You know, it's not going to be the whole time, uh, especially in that group where they're not comfortable. It takes a while. I mean, to, you know, we only have a day. I mean, if you and I, we go to hang out with our crew and it's, you know, that we're comfortable with, it's a little different than a new group every day. I, you know, I noticed a funny phenomenon too about, about students generally as I, as I taught for, for all the years I did. I mean, I still continue to teach just not in the classroom setting, but, um, you know, I, I found myself from time to time in an, with elementary age students and they're, they're like drunken sailors, man. They don't, they'll say anything that pops into their mind and they, they're completely unfazed by the stuff that they say. They don't reflect on it. They don't even think about it. They're like over it yeah. before it even happens. And then high school, you see that start to fade because, you know, learners at that age are, are maybe more, a little bit more conscientious about being wrong in front of a group of people. They don't want to say the wrong thing. I taught undergraduate classes. They were even quieter than high school classes. And I taught graduate classes and they were quieter than undergrad. There is nothing more torturous than trying to elicit a response from a room full of graduate students when they think they might not have the right answer. It's like pulling teeth, you know? And and that's probably true on the ski hill too. And, I, and it's not faulting it. Nobody, who wants to be wrong, you know, in right. front of a group? So you have to find a way to like tactfully let them get that information to you, yeah. you know, the way they want to do it. Yeah, so it's, it's definitely prep. I think we're all going to be prepping hard. I mean, it's a big part of our system now to make sure we're not just aware of them, that we're actually good at them. And I don't think that, that I, not that I don't think, I know we're never going to stop working on that because it's not something you just get good at, uh, you know, and then you have it. You have to continue to work at it because uh, everybody you meet's different. You know, like you said, not everybody's a full introvert, full extrovert. There's that mixture and finding the balance and, and finding out how you can involve everybody. But to try to evolve everybody the same way or at the same level, that doesn't, it's kind of like going over to a kid's group. You know, you go in there and you get some kids that are, you know, you go in there with huge energy. And there's not a lot of huge energy. Sometimes that turns the kids off. They get scared. Mm -hmm. You know, you got to go in with a lot of mimicking type energy and, and as you build it up. So, it, yeah, it's definitely. So, yeah, we've been thinking about that. Um, what about teaching? Like, like, you know, the old joke, right? Like, how do you know what a ski instructor is working on in his skiing? <laughs> That's what he teaches in his lessons. That's you know? right. But that's, yeah. that's pretty lousy. That's a pretty lousy strategy as a well-rounded teacher. How, how do yeah. you practice? How do you practice becoming a better teacher? Um, you know, some of that comes from sharing with, with my peers, you know, we, and I watch what they're doing on the Hill. Um, you, know, you watch the activities of other people skiing with their groups and then I, I ask a lot of questions like so what were you trying to do there you know I, I get a lot of conversations going with Troy Walsh and Peter Howard um, that 
I, I just keep picking brain or whether it's Matt Boyd or Murmur Blakesley, you know, I think the, the biggest way to learn how to teach better is to, to see what some other folks are doing and what was successful, but then picking and choosing what works for you. Um, and I experiment. I do. I mean, that's part of my, the whole chaos thing that I will, I will take a risk and go out and play with something with a group for, for a couple runs. And sometimes it doesn't work, you know, or, or the group doesn't, you know, what the presentation doesn't work or the way I set up the learning environment, the terrain wasn't right. You got to know to switch gears. So, I mean, one way is I do experiment. Um, I do, you know, try to reach out just um, not to get the answer, but to kind of get some ideas. I mean, sometimes you don't get the the answer from like, if you and I talked, you said, well, I did this the other day and this really worked. It's more about the idea of um, might be pieces of what you did. I might say, I'm gonna try that little piece there. And I think the, the biggest way I get better is, is being open to try new ways. If I go out and do the same clinic the same way every day, I know I don't grow, but I also know I get really bored. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and it is, um, you know, we can get trapped into that. What's the thing we're really working on for us. And, um, so, so for one way I try to get out of it is, is just don't try to pick one fundamental I'm working on. It might, you know, make sure I work on all five. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, we can. I mean, it, we... I, I think one of the most dangerous things for a teacher is well two two dangerous things first is preconceived notions yeah. right and the other is ego yeah you know um you have to be you have to have a, a level of depth to not prepare you know yeah. when, when when you see when you see in any in anything when you see a less skilled person who is unprepared you you can spot it from a mile away yeah. But I think, you know, in, in, in certain endeavors where you, you are actually very good at something, pre preparation can almost, can almost shoot you in the foot, you know, because if, if you, uh, you know, you dedicate to going down this pre-chosen path to the point where you, you, it's not working and you don't recognize it or you won't yeah. turn away from it, nobody benefits from that. Correct. You know, and, and the spontaneity that comes from not having a, a and i'm not saying you don't have any plan at all if you're gonna run an event called trees and steeps then yeah you have to be aware of what the title is because that's what people right. paid for to that's what they wanted to learn you know but if you run it down in my opinion this is all just my opinion if you plan your trees and steeps event to the point where, you know, you have Roman numerals one through nine and every Roman numerals got 17 bullet points and you're dedicated to covering each of these before lunch and you're going to spend three and a half minutes on this one and eight minutes on this one. It doesn't, it doesn't work like that. Right. You know, sometimes you have to be happy as a teacher throwing caution to the wind a little bit, you know, and if you're, if you're, if you're a student of the sport yourself, you can usually, whatever direction it, it needs to go in, you can usually take it there. Yeah. You know, that being said, you know, again, that, that requires, requires a level of depth. You, you can't do that recklessly. Otherwise it's meaningless. But, you know, if you're conscientious about getting 
about understanding something yourself, you, you can back off the, of the teaching technique. And then it doesn't look canned and over-prepared and fake. Yeah. Yeah. I'd, I'd say I, my preparation is the tech, you know, the technical type pieces, like you said, you know, we, we know we're going trees and steeps and my teaching is so much for me. And because it's our podcast, of course, it's our opinion. That's why it's good. You give your opinion. That's right. Is, is my, deal, my teaching developed. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> is that I, I really feel like a lot of my teaching is developed on the hill or it's developed when I'm working with people. Um, because I see the reaction, but then it's, it's that, that thing of don't have the ego. It always works. You've got to know that when it fails, know when it fails because it does. I mean, I went through that with my program group last fall, you know, they wanted some of the thought process. Why? Cause there was, there'd be sometimes I'd do an activity and I would just stop doing it and, and we'd go skiing for a run. Then I'd start doing something else. And they were kind of like, well, why'd you do that? And they wouldn't ask in the past. Well, last year they asked and I'm like, well, it didn't work. <laughs> and it's, it's like, well, why didn't you tell us? It's like, well, you already knew it didn't work. You guys hated it. Well, yeah, we couldn't do that. I'm like, there you go. I mean, so it was, you know, when somebody can't attain what you're trying to achieve, I mean, what did you set up? You know, I mean, you, so if you don't recognize it and keep going along the path or if you start something that they don't understand what you're trying to get them to achieve in that task. I mean, you don't have to give them the answer, you know, if you're going through some guided discovery thing, but you need to, you need to recognize what's going on. So I, I, I try to, I say, I would say if I prep for that without being in the group, it's really trying to evaluate and try to look at what I've already done and, and what I might not have done well with the group I had yesterday or last week. Um, that, you know, I said, yeah, I, two weeks ago, this worked great. And yesterday I did this and it didn't, I mean, what did I do different? Was it that I did, was it the group? Did I not read certain people in the group weren't ready for that? Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm, I don't think the, the presentation, the setting up of the learning environment is a constant type thing where it's almost easier, I think, to sit down and prep for the tech, you know, the technical pieces, which in turn, for me makes it a lot easier to experiment with the teaching and to grow in my my presentation and 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 more than just the presentation but how i set up the learning environment for people mm -hmm. to go through the movements um because if i'm wrapped in the tech or you know if that's not nailed um then i'm i get screwed up in that which we see with a lot of people that are coming to events and working through things or going for are starting to train for their certification they get so wrapped up into what they're teaching, the content, the actual movement pattern, that they don't realize anything of what's going on with the group mm -hmm. that they're looking at. And, and then and they're know, probably not really... probably not looking. Yeah, they're not even looking. They're, they, they're so focused on, I need to do this, and I need mm -hmm. to do this, because they have that prepared thing. And it doesn't matter what happens mm -hmm. with the group. It doesn't even matter if they need it. This is what I prepared. Right. And well, and, this and works when you, on the steeps. When you watch somebody who's really, really good at, at coaching the way you're talking about like you know i i got to ski with jeff boyd the um head coach of the national team two years in a row at um national academy at, at big sky and and jeb is a gifted teacher you know and um i was i was the first year i was getting ready for my my ets tryout and so like one of my goals at national academy was to pick jeb's brain for the for the six days you know which i was lucky to be able to do and and he told me on the chair i'll never forget it he's like you have to 
um, coach yourself into obsolescence. Like your goal is to make yourself unnecessary. And I thought, wow, like what a what a great example of removing your ego from this. But but with that, you know, that there's a lot of responsibility on you then because you, you, you have to you have to actually not only provide people with what they they need, but you have to make sure they get it in a way that when they leave, they can keep practicing it and know when it works and when it doesn't. Self-coaching is what makes yeah. the coach obsolete. You know, so um, that I mean, that was a big moment in my development, just trying to trying to get my head wrapped around what he meant by that. But then watching him do it with a group of really, really great skiers for six days who all did something different, you know, within he had he had his thing that he wanted us to work on, which I I remember the the first year it was. Um, more skidding at the bottom of the turn and the next year was more skidding at the top of the turn but just the idea of playing with flatter bases and when it was appropriate and conditions and whatnot but I mean so there was an overall focus like back to the steeds and tr- the uh, trees and steeps thing there was a title right Jeb had a goal but he could look at everybody in the group and give give a specific piece of, indip- of, of feedback or a specific focus for them and, and work it and you know it, it, it was it was terrific yeah yeah good stuff great stuff so um we're hoping folks will tune in again hopefully they enjoyed this podcast and angela and i are hoping to have some more podcasts out in the near future uh, you know what if i were folks i would tune back in i hope so i Just hope to they do hear what you have to say <laughs> well, you're here too. So they may say that they want me to just shut off and just have Angelo on here. We'll see what happens. Hopefully. We'll see. We'll try a couple where we mute one of us or the other and see how yeah, that goes. That would, that would work good. But yeah, great All talking right. to you today, Angelo. And yep. uh, I'm looking forward to us doing another one here soon. Yeah, let's do it soon. All righty. Sounds good, buddy.